And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East at Sierra, West at Sierra, Southwest at Sierra, and North Northeast at Sierra. Wind southwest, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll, westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. So we also have singer-songwriter Hattie Whitehead in the studio doing a live session with us later on. And you'll be hearing from Newton Dunbar, who ran a club called The Four Aces in Dalston in East London for over 30 years. This is a 20-minute documentary um, because he's had a very full life. So we'll be playing this in two parts during this show. So here's part one. journey that I've come along, I've concluded that we start something by our actions, and this was preordained to happen. We have a great part in it because we go through the motions of enacting it. Everything is connected to the past in the sense that in the beginning, the past was very relevant, and in my concept, the only truth because it has already happened so eventually the past will connect into the future I'm fortunate in a lot of ways because the story of my life has been told in a documentary and I'm I'm aware that I'm acclaimed as a legend but the main thing is that I remain me in my quiet moments, I accept me as not a perfect creature, but I've not hurt anybody I'm aware of. I carry no malice for anybody because I view these things as a burden and I dispense with any such thing. I will aspire to do what is ace and that's now attached to my working name Number one, because providentially it was part of the business that I was involved in for a very long time. And in manifesting something that is new, I also like to connect with my past life, which was the four aces. Here I come, here I come to domination! I was born in Jamaica and grew up there for most of my life. I came to London when I was just over 17 years old. 
and my primary intention was to study. I came to London in 1956. There was no venue or there was no particular environment where people who came from different places, or mainly in my case from the West Indies, could find as a relaxive atmosphere. And at the end of the week, people needed to have some form of relaxation and entertainment. And West Indians are very creative people in their own right, and especially when it comes to entertainment. People used their own initiative and inventiveness, and they created what was later called the blues dances. And that consists of people with spare room or a basement that they converted into a party atmosphere at weekend. And of course, because there were far and few in-betweens, they received massive in attendance. There was no club at all who West Indians to attend. The only clubs that were in situ at the time were in the West End, like the Astoria, and they used to do ballroom dancing. It's not the sort of music or dancing that West Indians were used to. And at that time, there was a great prejudice in, in force. And even the places that were functioning were not very kind or encouraging to people from the West Indies. Me and a few of my friends used to occasionally go to these places in the West End and we used to see how it functioned. And in those days I had jukeboxes which accommodated the music and dispensed it. And they didn't really even have the numbers that we actually were used to or were interested in. But eventually they got them in and that was okay. And then I started thinking you know, wouldn't it be good to have a venue in situ where we could come freely and would provide the sort of music in the terms that we like? Because in Jamaica there are these sound systems which had giant boxes, etc. But I started thinking, wouldn't it be good to find a premises and to organize it from our perspective? And as it happened, fate or providence took a hand. We used to go to a club in Highbury, what was then a basement of a guest house in Aberdeen Park. And in, in the basement there was a jukebox and a few of us used to go there. And it was during that time that actually fate did take a hand because the owner of these premises, he asked a man as if we were interested in running it. And of course me, and three other friends say, yeah, we'd love to. Money started coming in and, you know, it cut.
kind of made me think to some extent about giving up the day job, <laughs> but I continued and it reached a certain peak where I thought this is getting too big for the premises that we had. So it was then that I started looking around for larger premises and that's when we found Dalston Lane. So ten months into initiating a club with partners and then boiling down to where I was left holding the baby, so to speak. We moved with the name intact, and that's when the Four Aces was born at Dalston Lane. We actually went into doing promotions on another level where we introduced live bands. There came this man called Desmond Decker, who managed somehow to get in the British charts because at the time black music was not played by the media and he went into the British charts with a song called Israelites and um, it went to number one. During that time we acquired a booking through the agency that we dealt with commercial entertainment so we got Desmond Decker who was just a local reggae singing guy from Jamaica promoted us a song and of course during that time he went to number one in the British charts so you can imagine the kerfuffle. He satisfied a hunger for people who came from the West Indies and also English people who were very curious about this black guy being number one in the chart. Of course, that night was phenomenal. If you can imagine, clubs didn't afford to have people who was number one in the charts, but we did it. of great expectations <laughs> it drew a phenomenal crowd it's quite um, interesting that history did repeat itself later on in the sense that um, the attendance that actually changed the face of Dalston in a way because they'd never seen that many crowds and that later recurred in my time at the Four Aces incorporating Labyrinth. When Prodigy played there, the same thing happened. History did repeat itself. I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race. That was Newton Dunbar there, and you'll be hearing more of that two-part interview later on in the show. In the meantime, keep us on your timeline on Twitter and Facebook at East Car Show and check out all our interviews and listings online eastcarshow.com 
Now, when we normally go and see comedy, what you see will um, will, will appear very car uh, carefully. It will appear ad hoc, but it will be very carefully crafted and rehearsed performance. Not so much with our guests here in the studio. Play It By Ear are a group of comedians whose performances are entirely improvised in front of a live audience. With us are two chaps, both called Tom. So hello, Tom and Tom. <laughs> hello. hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're going to do a bit of a sketch a bit later on, aren't yes. we? Um, but just before that, um, so you've, uh, how long have you been going? Uh, well, me and Tom, we've been performing together for four years at this point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, four years. So. Uh, we, uh, we started at the University of Kent together. We were both very involved with like the drama society there. And I remember... Um, on the first day I turned <laughs> up, they said, oh, we're doing auditions for this comedy team. And uh, I'd always fancied myself as a serious actor, never really thought about comedy. I gave it a go and I managed to get in. And then the next year, in my second year, Tom turned up. Yeah. I didn't know it was an audition, though. No, you didn't. I, I didn't know until afterwards <laughs> that I was auditioning for anything. It so. was a very strange meeting, the two of us. It was. I came out praising an imaginary god. Yes, um, yeah, it was a weird drama society. I knew, I knew when you emerged from the room that this was a project I wanted to be involved with. And that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how I got involved with it. Have you ever done the rehearsed stand-up comedy kind? Yeah. The normal kind? We both <laughs> do stand-up. Tom, uh, other Tom, a lot more than myself. He's very, you're quite experienced, aren't you, on the London circuit, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually did uh, stand-up for my master's year at, my, uh, at the University of Kent, where we were. Um, so I just did my final year of university. I was just marked on being funny. Which was a bit weird. It wasn't as Terrifying. funny as it sounded. It was. It really was. <laughs> I didn't know you could get like. I didn't know stand up was like part of the <laughs> well, degree. Well, apparently it is, is unless it just, I've got a fake degree. Is it just Kent that does it, or is it uh, other ones as well? I'm sure there are other places. Yeah. At Kent, we have a, there's a great guy called um, Dr. Oliver Double who does. Um, is a sort of stand up comedian, isn't he? And he, yeah. He, um, he encourages it a lot as part of um, you know a degree course and as a master's course as well. I did it as part of my degree in my because I did a three year BA and I did it in my final year. Uh, introduction to stand up, and you can have, you can have the option to take it on as a master's, can't you? Yeah, yeah. But now uh, we've both graduated, and we're out in London, um, yeah. trying to work the circuit, trying to make a name for ourselves. That's right. <laughs> so I, I came to see you um, a little while ago, and y you must have a real sense of the kind of things that that work and don't work. Yeah. I mean, it is all live and it is all improvised, but there must be a, some kind of preparation to it. I think the preparation for us is just being really good mates i think yeah i think what I th what we really like about our team is that we've been like professionally very close and also like personally very yeah. close for all these for all these years like when we're not performing we hang out don't we yeah and, you know, i mean I, I come from essex um for most of the gigs tom does live in london but whenever we're, whenever i'm about we try and hang out and then at university we hang out all the time didn't yeah we? and i think audiences really like seeing a group of guys just really enjoying themselves on yeah. stage if you're having if, the, if it's apparent that the act is um is having fun it's a lot more easy for the audience to sort of um enjoy it as well I yeah and get caught up in it but we have now given away the secret to our we mediocre have. success yeah can <laughs> so, we cut that last part out? yeah this isn't live is it <laughs> <laughs> it might just be oh, oh no. dear. um so going out to the pub with you must be just like a hoot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for, uh, for, the, for, uh, for us, maybe. Not yeah. For, <laughs> not for anyone who has the unfortunate. No. Unfortunate to get anyone without out. a sense of humour is uh, fairly likely to leave fairly, <laughs> fairly early on. I or mean, just. Sorry, it's a, it's a kind of an interesting format, isn't it? Because normally, you know, you uh, as, as an audience member, you go and watch some comedy and you are performed to. 
but there's a certain element of responsibility in the audience as well to come up with good suggestions, isn't there? Yeah, so definitely. It's a different dynamic. But I think it makes the whole night feel more special. Like, I, I love stand-up, but improv comedy, where everything is just made up on the spot, it feels... It's a bit like jazz, I think. Like, it only exists in that moment. I suppose it can get really surreal, and that's what... Oh, like. definitely. Surreal is what we do best. Yeah. <laughs> it's our bread and butter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I when I was a kid, I used to watch Whose Line Is It Anyway. It was, oh, like, yeah. my big favourite programme, and we used to play it in the playground. It really? Was, um, yeah, so I've, that was kind of what we did at school. So yeah. um, it became quite a thing. So I wonder if that, you know, you, that show inspired you. Oh, definitely. Like, I think it's my favourite one of my favourite comedy things of all time and to actually sort of do it myself in front of crowds in London is just, it's an amazing experience. It's a great really. feeling, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there's lo there's loads of improv in London. Uh, uh, in fact, even just down the road from it, the Miller, they have uh, improv every single night and there's a real growing scene for it in London and it's great to be sort of helping that Part along. Of that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So if somebody th throws something out that's just, too weird or too bizarre? Do you just sort of ignore it? And there are, are <laughs> as, you, as you can imagine, certain things do crop up quite a lot amongst yeah. amongst comedy audiences. Um, we try and work with everything we get, don't we? Um, yeah, within reason. Within reason. There was one gig we did in Broadstairs out in Kent, where it was it was this weird university campus where they only had they only taught policing and graphic design there, <laughs> so it was a bit of a weird crowd, and they kept just kept shouting Gary Glitter. <laughs> <laughs> for like a, for like an hour and a half show, we're like we can't keep doing That's, scenes. Maybe that could be our theme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So we're gonna hear a little bit of a sketch and appreciate the you know this is not a kind of normal environment because yeah. your That's audience right. is we're, just we're... just uh, you know just very few and our and our producer. <laughs> We'll give it a go. She wants to chip in. <laughs> um, so tell us what you're going to do for us. All right, well, um, shall I... Yeah, shall you I go for it. Throw it, throw down. Unleash um, the gates of wisdom. We're going to try a little game out called What Is It? This is a game we do a lot of in most of our sets. It's normally pretty popular. I think you've seen us play it before when you came to watch us yeah. um, a few months ago. So um, it's, a, it's a great game for audience participation. So we're going to... Um, get you guys to sort of give suggestions to us at various points in the scene. So, for example, Tom might say... Oh, I wish I had my... And that's when you guys say a suggestion. So let's, we'll, tr we'll try that again. Oh, if only I had my... Maracas. 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 I could summon up a, a festive beat. <laughs> a festive beat. Do we like the buzzer? What do we think to the buzzer? I like the buzzer. Yeah, we'll keep the buzzer. We'll Go keep the buzzer. We've got to be so a bit quicker off the mark. That's the idea. So we'll, um, we'll do a scene based on that. So normally we'll ask for a, a place of work from the audience. So if you want to suggest something, maybe something a bit more imaginative than like a, a radio station or a, you know, a, a shop. What have you got? A uh, bakery. A bakery. Bakery. Bakery lovely. is good. Always a rich topic for comedy. Oh yeah. So this is the game of what is it? I hope you're ready. Have you got some words words ready in your mind? Let's, let's take it away. Uh, good morning. Oh dear. Welcome to the bakery. Oh, thank you very much. Can I interest you in a bagel? In a bagel. <laughs> a bagel. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. It's what you'd expect from a bakery, isn't um, it? It's very much what I'd expect from a bakery. Well, that and. Socks. Socks? <laughs> well, I, I have been thinking of branching out into socks, branching actually. Branching out? I see there's a very handsome pair you're wearing right I've at the moment. I've started putting socks in the bagels. In the bagels. What do you think to that idea? Well, let me just pick up one of these things. Um, well, can, you, can you feel the weight? Can you feel the... Meringue. The meringue. <laughs> there's meringue in there as well. Mm, I'm certainly getting a sense of... 
Chips. A sense of chips. <laughs> oh, yes, that's yes. a sense I get quite often. A as sense well. of chips, I suppose you'd call it. Very yes. nice. Very nice. Oh, indeed. I see what you did there. Very nice indeed. That's why you're my favourite customer. Oh, well, it is the first time here, but that's very generous of you to say. Ever I'm... since you helped me out with that incident, you know, when I was trapped in. Gary's. In Gary's. <laughs> in Gary's. Oh, it doesn't need saying. We don't, the name that does not speak his name. It was just an establishment owned by Gary. Owned by and Gary. That is serious enough, it's my serious friend. Serious enough it is. Well, that's all right. I'm always happy to help out. Let me just just chow down into this delicious sock bagel. Please do. Um, I'm getting a I'm getting a real sense of um, Christmas. Christmas. It's extremely Christmassy. Yes. I haven't had a bagel this good since my ex-wife. Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> oh, I love Nancy. She made a bagel to die for. She literally did. Literally, because she choked to death on it. She did. God rest her soul. God rest her bagel soul. <laughs> but I must say, if there was one thing I didn't like about Nancy, it was her... Stockings. It was her stockings. Now, as a proprietor of a sock shop, I know... Well, a soon-to-be bagel sock shop combo establishment, yes. I can tell that you know your stockings when you see I them. Know, I know my stockings. I know them as well as... John. John. Now, John knows his stockings. Oh, from John's stockings down mm, the road. Next yeah. to... Um, next to... Mandy's... Next to Mandy's... Next to, <laughs> to Mandy's Next mandolins. to Mandy's cafe. Oh, no, mandolins. Yeah, yeah mandolins. There's two Mandy's on the high street. It's there very are. popular. It's very confusing. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, how do you find time to make all these bagels in between all these bizarre entrepreneurial endeavours? Well, I do have problems with scheduling, but after I settle down with my afternoon... Bun. Afternoon bun... <laughs> I think to myself, oh, there's nothing I'd like more than to create some sort of weird meringue sock bagel combo. <laughs> what kind of name could you come up for this? Perhaps a... <laughs> a block? <laughs> well, yes, I've been thinking about that. That's actually a Swedish. A little on the nose, perhaps. It's but... Swedish for tasty circle. Is it? Yes. Really? I have it on good authority. I thought it was Danish for... Good For good Yes, and that's actually the Scandinavian general word for... Easter. For Easter. Ah, bring it all back With together. With the pause at the start, though. Of course. Because you have to have a dramatic... The pause is integral to the yes. enunciation. Yes. Okay. Anyway, I sir, I can sell you this tasty bagel... Go on, ...for then. the low, low price of... 20 pence. Of 20 pence. 20 pence. I'm not going to make any money on this, am I? <laughs> it doesn't look that way. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. And scene. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. <laughs> the buzzer didn't work. Yeah, we gave up on that pretty quickly. Didn't oh. need it. Didn't need it. It's all. Ah, oh, that's a worry. You can edit one in. So it's not like it's live. <laughs> before, um, thank you so much no, for coming. Thank before you, you um, head off, whereabouts are you going to be playing in we, the near future? We've got a couple of things coming up. Um, you can uh, follow us on um, Twitter and like us on Facebook for all of this information. But we've got a, a gig coming up this coming Sunday, actually. Uh-huh. Called the um, this is at the Islington in Angel um, called the Comedy Fight Club. That's on the 30th of November. Doors 7:30 showtime. Uh, no, doors 7 o'clock showtime 7:30. Five pound entry. Uh, it's us, some really other great groups called the Science of Living Things, Giggle Loop, the Petting Zoo, and the main headliners are Project Two. And then we've got another gig on the 14th of December at the Water Poets. Um, in uh, in Shoreditch, in Shoreditch, Bishopsgate, isn't it? With yeah. a with a cracking group called City and Pro that me and Tom also do some performances with as well. Yeah. And like Tom said, any other gigs that we have coming up, you can check us out. Play it by ear on Twitter and Facebook. Yes, fantastic. Thank you very much for having Thank us. Thank you so, really so much. 
So the Big House Theatre, it's a charity supporting young people who have been in care by, by providing them with a chance to act in productions that tackle the often difficult issues they have faced in real life. They're now on their third play, a fully blown musical called The Realness, which is on at the moment at the Hackney Down Studios. I went down and spoke to the producer and two members of the cast. I can't believe I'm standing out here in front of you. A million times I played through my mind all the things that I wanted to say. My name's Jasmine Jobson, I'm 19 and I play Marie. I'm Sam Julian and I'm the producer of the show. I'm Ashley Gale, I play Jay Johnson and I'm 22. So I'm here again for the third time, The Realness by the Big House um, Theatre Production Company. Can you tell me a little bit about what The Realness is all about? Take it away, Johnson. <laughs> yeah, um, the play's pretty much about... Um, it's a guy who's gone into prison for just doing things that shouldn't be done on the streets, selling drugs, stealing things. He's come out of prison and it's pretty much his journey through life, you know, meeting the same people again, but trying to change his life and keep himself on the straight and narrow. And uh, it kind of shows all his trials and tribulations through that, um, whilst also everyone else, whilst he's been in jail, has they've changed their own lives. So he's kind of had to fit back into that mould now and reform himself. And Can you identify with him at all? Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I think um, he reminds me of my younger self, because he's just that kind of naive young boy who doesn't quite see life as how it should be and he's he's kind of set in this bubble at first of where you know things don't really have consequences and what happens happens but going on his journey he starts to see that the things he's done has affected people and you know he can seriously lose uh, very strong relationships with characters within it because of the things he's done and so he's just you know trying to find his way of redeeming himself in a way and yeah I can definitely relate to that because I was the same as a young kid um stupid reckless you know just out for myself want the girls and you know all that nonsense but you don't really you don't you don't think of the future really there's just a lot of similarities between us and what do you want for your future now now I'm just all about work rejoice made you decide to do a musical this time around? Uh, I think it, it's a show that's been in development for quite a while. The team that put it together were behind Bad Girls, the musical, so that's where the journey kind of began. And there was a realisation that actually it could be a great show for the big house and, and members of the big house to really get involved in and do something very different to what the big house had been doing previously. Um, the last two shows have been open house projects, which are very, very different to this. Those are stories that are bought out of the big house members, whereas this is a full, fully worked, written musical. Everybody auditioned for the parts, mm -hmm. and it was a very different experience for everybody involved. Do you think musicals are moving away from the sort of traditional happy, sing-songy reputation that they've got, and you can use that medium now to to tackle sort of slightly more serious issues? I think if you've got the right team, you can, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the bottom line of it is, is if you're telling a story, as long as you've got the team behind it and can tell the story in the right way, then the medium's right. And this, is, this was really attractive because it was very different to what's currently on the musical theatre scene. It's something that's very honest and very upfront and actually a real reflection of life. There's no kind of pretense, everything will work out all right in the end. It is, you know, let's go on this journey together and, and actually explore reality. Can I get your life together? You must bring me alive. 
And what do you think about acting and singing? Is it kind of increased pressure? Definitely. Just trying to sing, dance and act all in one is just, oh, it's a headache. <laughs> it's a headache. But it is so much fun. And uh, you know what? It's just worth it in the end. I never thought that I'd actually see myself in a musical. And just to know that, boom, like... This isn't a West End production, do you know what I mean? This isn't like Cinderella or, or it was, what are the other ones, um, Madame Butterfly and all these other things that go on in theatres, do you know what I mean? It's not like that at all. This is literally the streets put into a theatre production and we're trying to show people, boom, this is where we come from. This is the kind of things that happen when you go down the wrong kind of roads. This is how you can get out of it. This is how you make yourself. This is how you do something for yourself. And if you've got talent, push yourself. Are you able to make a bit of a living from your acting now? Um, yeah, well, not so much of a regular, consistent living, but it's more, you know, get what you can, you win some, you lose some, you know. I mean, as a care leaver myself, uh, we're always kind of used to rejection, you know, so it's kind of like, you just kind of, like, all right, sweet, you lost out, do you know what I mean? You just learn to kind of brush it off. Sam, the first two productions, they got very good reviews. Do you feel any pressure? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think whenever a company like The Big House appears and it doesn't happen that often, there's always that kind of, OK, let's keep that, keep that going and keep that, you know, rolling. I think this is by far the biggest thing that we've tried to do so far. Um, there's a combination of professionals and care leavers very involved in it and it's, it's, it's a huge, huge project, so... The pressure to keep that going is, is, you know, it is very present. But at the same time, we've got such an incredible team on board that I'm, I have so much faith in the project that actually I know that it will be, it will be a success. We're not ordinary actors, you know. We're not actors that you would find on TV nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Because of the backgrounds that we come from, when it comes down to certain circumstances and certain characters, certain environments and things like that, you can put your own experiences into it. And it don't actually look choreographed. It looks like, you know, it's natural because it's raw talent. You know, you're putting yourself on a plate. It's like I was watching EastEnders the other day. And now, because of the level of my acting, I'm looking at some of the characters, I'm thinking to myself, like, really, why are you even there? Do you know what I mean? Because it's like certain people that you see on TV, they just can't act at the level that they're supposed to. You know, and it's like, well, do you know what? Like, ring me, you know. Where's the next mixed race girl to be coming into EastEnders? <laughs> I could do with a big contract right now. <laughs> So the producers and actors from the Big House Theatre Company, um, there you, you can... We actually went to see that, um, the realness play, that musical that they were in um, last week. Yeah, and it was quite, quite good. Yeah, very powerful stuff. And what I really liked about it was the, um, the way they used the theatre, the space. There yes. wasn't um, like a fixed stage and they there was a really nice use of space and projections. And, the, and they the, used a radio a yeah, DJ yeah. To, to kind of narrate some of it, which, which we was fantastic. Liked. <laughs> yeah, we like that. So um, some of the photos from that um, you'll be able to see on our website, um, East Car Show. Dot com and um, with all the details, obviously, of where you can find tickets. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, moving forward to something else, actually. Um, we welcome into the studio acoustic folk singer-songwriter Hattie Whitehead. Hello, Hello Hattie. How are you doing? 
If you might hear something coming in between, we are trying to set up because Hattie will be playing for us. So obviously we need to make sure that everything sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you are London-based and you are a very talented musician. Started off playing with um, a band and then started to move in for solo, which sometimes happens the other way around for most people. Yeah, I mean, I think um, starting with a band was a bit of a... It was kind of a comfort blanket for me because I was I was quite new to guitar playing. So I, I started with a band so that I could sort of cover any mistakes I thought I was doing on guitar. Um, and then I and then I decided to to kind of still work with a band but move and do some solo stuff as well to I suppose improve my my guitar playing. <laughs> That's fantastic. And you're actually going uh, back to the full band for your EP launch, which I is am, happening yeah. next year and it's yeah. quite exciting. It's gonna be it's gonna be the biggest that, that a band is that any band I've played with, like my own material, so it's going to be really good. We're going to have like a string trio, hopefully a string trio, and then some backing vocals, and then the usual five piece as well. So you're telling me there was ten people? Yeah, total? I think it's going to be a ten piece wow. in total. Yeah, it'll be it's really, really exciting. Yeah. So wait. what's what's happening uh, with these EP? Um, well, it's, it's been like a work in progress for for ages, really, like a couple of years, and. Um, in that time, the track listing has completely changed to something new, and um, and you know we've just we've we've finally, well we've almost finished recording now, and um, we're almost at the end of that stage, and then it'll be sort of in the mixing stages, and we're hoping to get it finished by well, out for everyone's ears by February. So still plenty of time to kind of wait for it and kind of crave for yeah. your music but we'll listen <laughs> um, from you a bit later mm. and let's talk about uh, your songwriting um, your dad is also a musician yeah um, how has your family being very musical inspired your songwriting um, well I suppose it, it helps sort of growing up around music and being around it all the time really like you can't really escape it in my house because my dad works from home so so uh, he'd always be like composing and playing piano, and he's a saxophone player, so always saxophone flowing down the stairs. Um, <laughs> from your from your childhood, what do you remember listening to? That um, I imagine they're not what, what anyone else would listen to. Um, well, my, obviously a lot of jazz because my dad's a jazz player, um, and both him and my mum are, are really into folk as well. So I heard a lot of you know things like Joni Mitchell and. James Taylor and and stuff like that and so yeah it's that that sort of thing really yeah that's great um you had a small gig at the bedroom bar around a month ago yes I did, um, yeah. what kind of what kind of venues do you normally play at um, or do you prefer playing because I imagine that you might have some preferences yeah a variety of, of different kinds of venues really um my favorite's probably the the kind where where the audience are, are Quiet. Yeah. Well, I, with some music, I think it's it's okay because the people playing really want to get the audience excited, and it's if it's lively and stuff, and they want people dancing around, enjoying themselves. But but to the kind of music that I play, it's it's quite intricate, and I suppose it it kind of needs people to listen to it for it to sound any good. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, that's probably my mm, favourite time. And there's uh, any question from the SCOS crew? Well, um, well, are you playing any gigs soon? Can we hear you 
somewhere or we've, we've got to wait till this EP comes I think up? I, I'm yeah. really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not really going to be gigging um, much until the launch now, which will be sort of late February, early March. But you can follow like Facebook and Twitter and I'll put updates of it all there. But yeah, it's going to be in St Pancras Old Church. Mm, nice venue. Um, yeah. Um, so and um, um, I ju- before I just forget, um, has the EP have any name for it, or is it something still in construction? Um, uh, it's kind of still a work in progress, oh, but right, right. Uh, probably it's going to be called Home because there's a track called Home on it, and it's kind of my first EP and my first recording that I'm putting out. So a lot of it has been written at home, and yeah. It just makes sense. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so um, later on the show, we'll listen from um, from you from um, a track that you recorded before. It's called River. But now what are you playing for us? Um, I'm going to play a song called Sunny. The River is a Joni Mitchell cover. I'm just going to... Yeah, <laughs> just for sure. Know that, just in case. Um, yeah, this is called Sunny. Take it away. for miles I know you may get this a lot but as your sister I think I'm allowed you arrived on the day independence filled the USA how fitting to find sunny
And that track was actually um, named after your brother, right? It was, yeah. My brother's called Sunny. He's a very good swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> Is your husband. Fantastic. Um, so you're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM, and we are East Coast. So if you like what you're hearing, you can find all our interviews, listings, and music at eastcastshow.com. Uh, Pearl, you have a new way of sourcing your fruit and veg, right? Well, I don't know if I have personally, but <laughs> I have found out that there are... Um, there is another way of doing it. Um, I've heard from a few sources about something called Food Assembly, um, which has been spreading across Europe and reached the UK in the summer um, with a first event held in Hackney Wick uh, in August, I think. Um, and seems to be quite... Yeah, the, there are more and more cropping up all over the place. Um, I think in the past few months, there were there have been a, a dozen assemblies started up all over the country. Um, so I spoke to a couple, Rebecca and Theo, um, who have been motivated to launch one in Haggerston, and they explain the appeal of what the concept actually is. Yeah, so we do about 40. It's incredible. What is this? Look at that. Look at the texture of that. It's like a peach. Tomato, I don't know what to say, it's a lady, feel my tomato. <laughs> Food Assembly started in France in 2011 and it's set up to bring um, local communities together to buy directly from local producers online. So it's an alternative to buying food online from the supermarket or from buying from the local supermarket. So you not only get the chance to meet the local producers, you get the chance to come to the same place every week um, and interact with them, hear their stories, but also meet other members of the community that are part of the same movement. Isn't that just called a local market? It is sold as a marketplace, but the difference here is that the, the transaction is taking place in the week online. Right, so, so there's, there's no exchange of money. There's no exchange of money on the night. But that works really nicely for the producers because they know in advance how much they've sold so they can come here with the exact amount of um, produce rather than turning up not knowing um, from week to week how much it's going to sell or what's going to sell of what so they can um, kind of eliminate any waste um, and just bring to the market what is actually needed. It's kind of intriguing that this started in France because going to the market in French culture is still so much ingrained. I think the movement is going towards online transaction. People are making online sales a part of their daily routine, whether it's in the UK through Ricardo or whether what the alternative is in France. But I think the big thing in France that's taken off, which they're trying to replicate in the UK, is getting to know on a personal level the people that have made the food. 
So it's not only sourced locally, it's produced locally. Um, and having that human story behind what you're eating every week. How did you find out about Food Assembly? What was your entry into it? So uh, I think the first time that we heard about Food Assembly was uh, in the summer, just after uh, the first one um, in the UK was launched in Hackney Wick, which is very close to where I work. Um, so a number of people were talking about it in the office, which got me to looking on the website and all of the different produce that was available. Uh, we just kind of did a bit more search and found out that you could become your own local host and run your local food assembly. And then living in Haggerston, that was a really appealing thing because there aren't that many places where you can buy food from around here. There's a real lack of food markets within walking distance uh, that was convenient for us. So we kind of thought it would be the same for our neighbours. got probably three different audiences here which we're trying to reach out to we've got the kind of transient uh, young professional that moves in that maybe has a bit more disposable income that, but doesn't have the regular habit of buying food ahead of time so planning for the week that we're trying to speak to and say well actually this is good for your wallet it's better produce then we've got the family base people that do plan ahead but maybe go to the supermarket because they've got a car we're saying actually this is more convenient for you to come to and then we've probably got the the older guard the people that have lived here for a long long time that maybe rely more on hoxton market maybe rely more on broadway market we're not trying to compete with those markets we're just saying that actually if you can't get to those markets on a weekend there's another outlet for you on a monday night if it's more convenient for you to pick up your food then rather than having to take an afternoon out are there people that would buy online we hope so. It's a very user-friendly platform. You know, the process of joining an assembly, the process of selecting food is very, very straightforward. The only thing that requires a, a little bit of a shift in mindset is purchasing before a Friday or a Saturday, but not for collection for another 48 hours. And having the foresight to think, well, next week I will be eating X, Y, Z. It's not an immediate gratification. We've never entered this for financial reasons. We've done this because um, we like organising things, we like bringing people together, we've got an interest in food, we like meeting new people, etc, etc. Um, but if you want to get down to financials, uh, we both have full-time jobs. And so this is a thing that we do on top of that, which requires about 10 to 20 hours a week. So we, we started off quite busy in the run-up to launch, just startup mode. Now it's a little less hectic as we start to get a bit better in managing our time to make sure that all the producers are happy and the, the people, the buyers are happy and the venue's happy. Um, and we take 8% of the revenue as a commission. Food Assembly HQ in France take 8% of the commission as well, but they take 8% of all of the food assemblies that operate around, around Europe. They have, a, they have a team in, in Paris that does all the coding, they do liaison, they do all that kind of network management as they roll out across Europe. So in London, they first launched in Hackney Wick. Uh, there's also one in Hackney Downs, Victoria Park, in Nunhead, in Forest Hill, and as of tomorrow, there'll be one in Stoke Newington. There, there's a couple in the regions, you know, if, if we can call them um, that. Yeah, there's there's one, one in, in Chester. There's one in Froome, just There's outside of Bath, and actually they've also recently launched one down in Cornwall. Yeah. So it's slowly expanding outside but of I London. But I think in London, 
there's a cap now on the the number of assemblies that can just pop up just to consolidate the membership base for the time being to build up to a critical mass so that they're not opening up every week. Uh, the pressery, we make raw organic almond milks just around the corner. We don't use any preservatives, additives or sweeteners in our drinks. We have some new flavours, so we started with the original, which is literally raw organic Spanish almonds with filtered water. And then we brought out cacao, which is, on top of the almond milk, it's cacao, vanilla and dates. The Food Assembly have a portfolio of producers that they have spoken to um, and who are familiar with the Food Assembly concept and may already be providing to another Food Assembly. Um, so we're working with a number of producers that are also supplying to other food assemblies, um, but we've also been able to speak to a number of other smaller uh, producers uh, in the local area and get them on board um, because we can offer a platform for them to sell their produce when they might not be able to get a stall at the local market, they might not be able to get their produce into a local independent grocer's uh, and we kind of provide that platform for them to be able to launch uh, a new food product from. The big test will be kind of shifting people's mindset to thinking, well, actually, it is worth, it's worth the trip. And we, we benefit around here because there is very little provision, but there is such a huge residential community. And this, this, the trip space is right in the middle of it. You know, so we are not asking people to walk down to Hoxton Market or up to Dalston or right, even over to Baldy Market. We're saying, on your doorstep, on a Monday night, if you can plan that far ahead, you can go and pick up the finest quality meat and veg and beer and stuff that's made within 150 miles of here. We've had already some really good input from some main members saying, we'd like to see this, or why haven't you got this? You know, for instance, like, why don't you have gluten-free cakes? You know, and as we're not we don't have a gluten allergy you know when we've been recruiting it's not something that's been at the yeah. forefront of our mind but of course some people have real like specific needs whether it's an allergy or just because they like stuff and we would ask people who are um, who are members of Haggerson Food Assembly to just be open and share with us what they think is good and what's not and what we can improve on because fundamentally we want this to be a good experience for everyone so you know if we can find a fish guy and a cake guy and a gluten free bread guy that's you know, that can serve people around here, then brilliant. We can do all the marketing and social media stuff that we like, but actually it comes down to when your neighbour says, my God, you wouldn't believe the venison burgers that we had last night. You know, that's, that's what's going to get people in here. Potatoes, squash, carrots, beetroots, later parsnip, olive, like spinach, kale, mixed salads, rocket, later watercress cones, That was Rebecca and Theo from the Food Assembly in Haggerston in East L London there. It sounds like a kind of rustic version of a cardo. Kind of. Yeah. I, I quite like the idea of it being available in the week because farmers markets in the, at the weekend can be so crowded. And I think what, it's a, what they're trying to do is add a social element to um, online food shopping. So it's not just the fact that it gets delivered to your home as they mentioned it gets delivered to a public space and the idea is that um, you come and collect your food while lots of other people are collecting your food and you all hang out and kind of 
um, meet the meet other like-minded people and, and who enjoy the same vegetables uh, as you. Yes, and <laughs> venison steaks um, as you do, and also um, occasionally meet the the actual producers. But I have to say, um, from the couple I've been to, most people just pop in, pick up their stuff, and leave again. And actually, we recorded that interview at the end of one of the. Um, assemblies which is where you could hear lots of clanging and things like that because they were clearing up so people don't tend to stick around it's on a Monday night it's winter mm, people Monday, don't want to you just, just want to go home and eat your food so um, I know that Rebecca and Theo are, are planning to do much more kind of social events and, and kind of try and get people motivated to um, to stick around and by organising specific things but um, yeah at the moment that seems to be how it's working but we'll Maybe see how it summer, develops yeah, yeah. Might, yeah. Might we'll see willing. We'll see how it goes. But it's a, it's a good initiative nonetheless. Um, so at the beginning of the show, you heard um, how Newton Dem- Dunbar set up um, his legendary club, the Four Aces, which has become a, a staple in Dalston. Lots of people talk about it. He's become a, a, f- a figure in himself and quite a recognisable character, I would say. Um, and we wanted you to play. We wanted to play you the second part, but unfortunately, <laughs> comedy no, and singing and all sorts of things has meant that um, we ran out of time. But um, the good news is that you can hear the second part of that documentary, um, which is r- rising from the dust. Um, so you can hear it about how Newton actually um, moves on past. Um, the club period and launches into a new career which is quite an inspiring thing for everyone because you know he's he's not he's you know he's um he's not i'm not allowed to say his age i was gonna say you don't want to say his age (laughs) but but you want to kind of make a statement about he did kind of renewed himself maybe yeah i mean he launched a a dj career probably at where most people are sort of thinking of sitting down and watching coronation street Street in their furry slippers and dressing gown and that is definitely he is out every night um djing wow (laughs) has more energy than all of us together i could i would say so so um if you want to hear the second part of that documentary um just go to our website eastcastshow.com and you can listen to it there Thanks, Pearl. Um, well, this is where we say goodnight, actually. Uh, but just before we, we leave you uh, for, with uh, Johnny Mitchell's cover, River, by Hattie Whitehead, who we heard earlier, there's just enough, enough time for us to say that we've been Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM. And uh, you can find out more about what we do at eastcastshow.com. Thanks for listening.
Skate away. 